This episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. Dream Symbols is a Canadian company that gets handmade symbols fabricated in Asia to their own specs. Lots of really cool stuff, kind of classic, thin, dark, all kinds of creative stuff. My personal favorite is the Bliss and Contact series, but they've got a lot of cool stuff, cool gongs and little effects sounds and everything. Uh, give them a follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and uh, let's check out the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome into episode 146 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Mike and I have some catching up to do, including the theft and recovery of the key of destiny. After that, we'll talk about some exercises for developing your weaker hand. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Mike Mitchell. In our gear review section, we'll be checking out the Tempest 8x14 Bell Bronze Snare Drum. Trust me, this thing is an absolute beast. Then we'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and we'll give you our picks of the week. But for now, just enjoy the sweet sounds of Mr. Wayne Saltzman. Yeah! I was like in the middle of searching for something. (laughs) (laughs) Just snap your fingers. Let's go. Got a camp to teach. Goodness. Goodness gracious. Did I find what I was looking for before you jumped the gun on me? (laughs) Sorry. I dropped a little bit of a little F-bomber on you, too. Uh, I, I apologize. I'm just so excited. I'm ready to go. So you're not completely beat up from the fourth day of a camp? I'm not. I'm hanging in there. I'm feeling good. Well, first, let's talk about Wayne playing us our intro groove. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's what I was looking DW for. Collector's <laughs> Maple Mahogany Kit. I thought you might be, so I figured I'd help you out a little bit. He's got 15-inch prototype hi-hats, 20-inch Crash of Doom, 18-inch K custom session crash, 20-inch Avitas ride, uh, and only use the Yamaha EAD-10. Yeah, uh, with, the with one of those, the Whistler, the Whistler preset. So Wayne is a, a good friend of mine. He's actually um, teaches down at the University of Texas, tours a lot with Bob Schneider down there, who's who's really awesome. And he put a book out last fall, developing melodic language on the drums, which. Is really awesome. Self-published. He did it all Great himself. Book. Yep. Um, it's got some really excellent jazz play-along tracks, which I think is kind of hard to find these days. It's like really nicely recorded, an actual band, not programmed bass lines and stuff. So cool. I recommend everyone check that one out if you're looking to get into kind of a more of a jazz language. It's called Developing Melodic Language on the Drums. But he can do everything, oh. including the weird stuff, which is my vibe. Yeah, man. <laughs> he's he's harsh in your vibe. Don't ever do anything weird, people. Mike Dawson has weird on lock. I don't think so. Uh, I got to give that to no, Matt Chamberlain I, and Zach Danziger. They're my uh, archetypes. Yeah. <laughs> the kings of weird. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm hanging in there. It's day four of camp. This is the first advanced camp of the year. I got to say, I might have I might have overshot on day one and day two and pushed too hard. And Uh there was a decent amount of depression in the room. And these kids, I mean, kids, these guys are like, some of them are older than me. Um, These cats can play. These are legit players. Some of them are touring touring professionals. Um, So these guys can play their rear ends off. And all of a sudden I was like, maybe I made it a little too hard. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but I, you know, I dialed it back on day three a little bit. And then the fun came back into the room and everything was good. The other thing that, made it really challenging for them. So one of the things that we do every day, we take drumless tracks 
And each day you learn a little bit more of your track leading up to the end of the week. So day one, you just learn intro and verse. You're done. We're trying to pick what is your groove for the intro? What is your groove for the verse? Count the bars, that type of thing. When do you come in? Then we do the next day. Maybe we learn the chorus. Then the next day we learn the chorus and the bridge. And then we figure out the rest of the song. So anyways, in the intermediate camps, they're picking hit songs. So they might be doing um, Maroon 5 or whatever. These are all songs with vocals and everything that have never, ever made it out. So they are all royalty-free songs that no one's ever heard, and I have the drumless versions of them. Uh. So no one has a drum track to reference. No one can look it up on YouTube. No one can prep. No one has a preconceived notion of, is the chorus on Sloshy Hi-Hats or is it on the ride? It's like, you've never heard this song before. But they're great pop kind of hit singles. So it's been uh, it's been a challenging camp, man, and... I'm really proud of this group of campers for kind of pushing through those first two days where they were like, it, it's defeating because the stuff that I'm teaching is stuff that we all think we know. And then I take them down the rabbit hole with it. And they're just like, their brains are going like, oh, crap. Uh, okay. So do I just not know how to play drums? It's like, no, no, no. Don't freak out. You're okay. But maybe. Because what I'm, <laughs> yeah, but maybe. <laughs> but you don't know singles. Um, but really what I'm going through with them is, you don't have to go down the rabbit hole with the material I'm giving you. My material is the examples. I want you to leave here and think, okay, now what are you going to re-examine about your own playing to go down the rabbit hole with? I'm teaching you the skill of diving deeper into a subject. You don't have to use my material for it. So anyway, so by by the end of yesterday, all was good. My band played. A little controversy that I'm sure you saw on Instagram. <laughs> I couldn't help but, but observe and see how long it took. So the drum key went missing. Really? It, it didn't seem like you observed when you typed in 96 crying faces, crying laughing faces. Um, that must have taken a lot of time to hit that emoji that many times. That was my first thought. I was like, that's like 42 of them. Ding, 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 ding. Um, uh, wait, you're so the one who you created that, a post about it. <laughs> well, it was a it was an APB. It was a worldwide alert. I mean, like any concerned parent, I just want my key back safely. You don't have to, you don't even have to tell me you did it. Just put it back where you found it and the ransom will be paid. Everything is fine. So if you guys don't know, Mike and I, a few, well, quite a few episodes back made a bet that I would, he bet that I would lose my Cherry Hills drums, uh, custom drum key. And this is this aged bronze drum key that I, I'm just obsessed with it. I love it. It looks like I've had it for 50 years, even though it's brand new, and I want to keep it for the rest of my life. Mike, how long did you say that I'd have it? Like six months or end of camp season? Uh, I think I said midway August, I think was okay. what I said. So Amber bet that I would lose it in the first week. So I won <laughs> that bet. And so, yeah, so I come in. Now, here's the problem. When I put up that post... There was a 50-50 chance that I lost it. I didn't know if oh, I really, really didn't took know. it. I thought you were just no. playing around. I assumed it. No, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I I just blamed it on a camper because I couldn't handle – that's what only children do is we blame everyone else around us for our problems. <laughs> um, couldn't possibly be me. And But I took my whole drum set off the stage, dude. Oh, I, wow. I, yeah, I, I struck the kit because I was like, I got to – maybe it fell on the ground. I mean, everyone's playing my drums at night during the uh, camper sheds. And so I, I struck the kit. I took this the two extra bass drums off the stage. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to blame these campers, I better know that I didn't lose it. So once I reset up my kit in the, you know, it's like seven in the morning, uh, then the campers come in. I don't say anything at all. I'm like, guys, all right, we're going to have a kick-ass day. Let's go have some fun. 
super positive. They get in here, they sit down. I put on a little music. I'm like, all right, everybody, let's get warmed up. I warm up their hands. We don't want to cause injury. So I warm up their hands. <laughs> Everybody's feeling good. I said, all right, now I need you to put your wrists together, and you're going to clap as loud as you can in eighth notes. I let them do that for about two minutes before I said, now no one is going to stop until that key shows up on my snare drum. <laughs> and the whole class is going, like, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. I'm like, and, and I'm just going to, yeah. So, uh, so eventually, so what happened was no one was budging. And I'm like, uh-oh, did I lose the key? Now I'm back to thinking I lost it. <laughs> So I start yelling and I'm fired up. And then uh, eventually somebody said, dude, it's on one of your A&F snares out here. Now I know for a fact it wasn't mm. on one of my A&F snares. So I go out into the lobby. There it is. And then Chris Hancock from Rooster Thrones comes around, gives me a big hug. He's like, sorry, bro, I had to do it. So this is only the tip of the iceberg. Then after that, I'm like, okay, we're cool. I love you. You're one of my favorite people in the world. We're all good. Then we do the photo shoot. Photo shoot goes great. Everything's good. We do our group camp shots, our mosh picture shots. Then we do our one-on-one shots. My wife Amber's there, and she's kind of previewing the photo shoot on the laptop as Julian's shooting. And she's like seeing the group shots. And she goes, Chris, what's in your hand? The dude stole it again, and it's in all the photo shoots, and I have no idea about it. That's He's amazing. got his arm around me. The key is on my shoulder, and I have no clue. Amazing. He got me twice in one day. <laughs> so if you guys want to officially boycott Rooster Thrones, that would be no. yeah, the opposite is true. You guys should, if you've ever considered getting a custom drum throne, check out Rooster Thrones. <clears throat> I really don't know if anyone else is doing what he does. There's not a lot of companies that do that, right? Custom, no. Like I mean, there's been custom you know, thrown pork tops. pie does like the specialty fabrics and stuff. But I don't, I don't know if you can decide what it is. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he'll put anything. on. I've got one with a Gretsch logo on it um, and a Tesla badge on the bottom that he just did for me. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's really cool stuff. So um, I purposely never have them here when he's here, just to. Keep him hungry, you know. <laughs> He's like, dude, because I always complain about my squeaky throne. He's like, I made you two of them. And I'm like, eh, I can't find them. I don't know where they are. And as soon as he leaves, I throw it back on the kit. So it's been a good day, or it's been a good week, and I'm excited to keep going with the campers. So you ready to dive into some big kid stuff? Yeah, let's do it. So what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about left hand, some... weaker hand. Let's call it weaker hand. Yeah, weaker hand, super nerdy. So what is this article called? Man, I am thought I was. Bro, prepared. you are crushing it today. I, I literally have um, page markers on the wrong pages. That's how awesomely put together I am today. <laughs> Killing it. Uh, I'm pretty bad at pronouncing this, but Albe, is it Albe, Albe Bonacci. Yep, Albe Bonacci wrote an right. article on developing the weaker hand. But what I like about this one is it's actually drum kit specific, which is not yes, not too common, absolutely. I don't think, to have, actually have a routine to develop your weaker hand. And I kit. don't think enough people know that when you see something only on one line, uh, let's say the snare line, for instance, that it's kind of assumed that you will take it to the kit at some point. And I think some people honestly just do it on the pad, and they're like, well, I guess that's that. And it's like, no, 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 that's yeah. just, that's you're just beginning the exercise. I do like that he did this. I also think that one thing that I don't see referenced in articles very often is I don't see people mentioning how awkward it is to crash with the left hand. So even yeah. when they build your yeah. left hand, they never talk about crashing. And I love that he said the first time you crash with your left hand or your weaker hand, it looks like you're throwing a baseball with your weaker hand. And it's like, <laughs> I remember now, 
you know, the first time something ended with a paradiddle double right, and I had to go up with my left hand. I'm like, whoa, what in the? <laughs> I can't. It's a uh, huh. I guess I'll just have to do right, left, right, right, and then jump with the right again. And and I had to learn how to crash with the left. And this these exercises teach you how to do that, which is really cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost getting into the idea of starting everything with your left hand. So open open. Uh open-handed position because a lot of the exercises start with the left on the crash and then the right hand is filling in so it's kind of developing two different things it's developing the weaker hand chops and also developing the weaker side to be able to play from that that i think that that's the thing that seems to give my students the most problem it's not that they don't have speed with the left hand they don't have the mental capacity to lead Mm left-handed so like if i say play single strokes and they lead with their right they're killing it. As soon as I say lead with the left, it goes blub, 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 blub. I'm like, okay, well, nothing physically has changed. It's just that your brain can't handle leading with that side. So I – especially on number two where you're just kind of going left, right, right, 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 right yeah. and crashing. Even though you would think like that's building up your right hand, it's really not. I mean leading with that left and feeling that as it's in the lead so that you're not going – what will happen is you'll flip it in your mind. You'll go right, right, left, right, right, left, right, yeah, right, left, right. right, right, left, right, right, left, and you won't know it flipped. And that's the hard part. I would definitely recommend doing every one of these exercises with either a metronome or you be the metronome and put in a left foot quarter note pulse because you can flip this stuff quickly so that you're physically playing the exercise correctly, but you're in the wrong part of the time by flipping it somewhere. Yeah, because um, the example uh, example four A is the one that I think I would probably flip the. The perspective. It's yeah, yeah. snare and then two lefts. Yeah, but the lefts are doubled with the kick drum. I have a real, real hard time hearing patterns with the kick drum either leading or as like a prominent part of the pattern. I don't know. Mm. I'm just a blind spot. I've never really. I guess I've just never really focused on it. I've kind of avoided it. Yeah, man. Um, but yeah, I think that this stuff will lead you. Obviously, this article that Albe wrote. Gets you started, but it'll lead you into thinking of stuff in a different way. You know, like when I see this, the f- first thing that comes to my mind is like an advanced exercise that I have for my students, which is the cascara pattern. Uh, and I apologize to all of those of you that think I should say cascara, but it's not going to happen. So if I'm playing the cascara pattern with my right hand um, and filling in ghosts with my left and then Mimicking my right with my kick, dank to dank dank to dank dank to dank to dank to dank dank to dank dank clat, then lead left, gank gank gank, and ghost with the right. You get to A B how comfortable one of them sounds and how uncomfortable the other one sounds, and how much you flam your left hand in your bass drum. Yeah, it's like to gang to gang gang to gang gang to gang, and you got to clean that up, and and you can't be scared of things like forty BPM. You got to slow it down thirty BPM. So. I think this stuff is really cool. It's also showing you – where is it? Uh, 5A. So uh, 5A. Paradiddle diddle. A lot of people – yeah, but a lot of people have never tried to play the left-hand lead paradiddle diddle. And they don't know how absolutely functional that is. Yeah, totally. um, That's a really good rudiment to have down. And you just kind of think like, oh my gosh. And once again, you're only dealing with two singles and two doubles, but it's that left-hand lead and feeling things starting over on your left hand or your weaker side, like he's mentioning in this article. That's where it's as much mental practice as it is physical. Do you find yourself crashing with a left often? I do. I find myself almost crashing in general right now. Why am I so amped? <laughs> I'm like yelling at you about that. 
I think I'm like four minutes away from passing out. Uh, sorry. My head is um, wheeze this morning. <laughs> yeah. Jeez Louise. <laughs> okay. Sorry, uh, do Chris, I find I myself think, I think you and Hancock need to have an arm wrestling contest today. <laughs> get it over with. Uh, I know. You just get it, get it out of right the way. Right hand and uh, left hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, weak side arm wrestling. So, do I find myself crashing with my left hand? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, because I do all yeah. the time without even thinking about it. It's probably well. I think a lot of my fills actually do end with a double right. A yeah, lot. me too. Exactly. So that's what, and and I like that as that double right's taking place, my left arm's coming up for this really non-rushed crash. I think crashing with the left gives me that like, you know, I I just it's it's on the left side of my kit generally. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I do that a lot. Um, the one thing that I don't even know where it came from, but definitely the DCI days. So maybe this is a Rod Morgenstein thing, or maybe an old Steve Smith video. But there were a couple drummers that divided the kit straight down the middle and said, "When mm-hmm. when the time is up and your fill's over, if you're on the right, hit with your right. If you're on the left, hit with your left. But don't ever cross over your body to reach with the right to the left side of the kit or yeah. vice versa, unless you're doing it for show. But there's, they were kind of saying there's no reason to do it. Hit the symbol with your left. And crashing with your left is a really, really important thing. But I've found, and maybe this is what you're alluding to, I've found once you get used to it, it feels good to crash with your left. It feels very like I finished something. Yeah, it's and nice to I'm just be open with, my, with your body. Your body is just nice and I agree. open rather than crushing I, your... You know, your breathing gets screwed up when you start crossing. Yeah, and I think that's what I'm referring to. I wish I knew where it came from, but I know it was in those old DCI video days. But I think that's a Gary Gary Chester concept because that's kind of the whole premise of the new breed is the kid is, you know, if you're going to – it's it's right down the middle. So he literally tells you to have a hi-hat on each side and, you know, the same type of symbols on each side. Without going on too much of a tangent, have you ever seen a Gary Chester video? Because I have a picture of him with his arms on some fence on a field somewhere. <laughs> I think that's the picture of him in New Breed, but that's the only time I've ever seen it. it. Was like he looked like he was like in the mafia and got relocated and then just wrote drum books. Yeah, uh, well, so, I mean, yeah, his his heyday was in the fifties, well before YouTube. <laughs> right. yeah. Oh, really? I thought I thought I was sure that Google acquired YouTube in '62. <laughs> I don't know if there's any any video footage. There's there's some audio, wow. but very little. But I mean, there's thousands of records he's played on. But I think the yeah. the new breed concept kind of developed later in the seventies. Okay. as you know, as the so, gear yeah, but made I mean, it possible. And that and that would make a lot of sense that if I'm watching drum videos that are coming out in the mid '80s and the late '90s, yeah. these guys are all heavily influenced by Gary Chester, and they went through that. So yeah, I think just to kind of wrap up Albay's article, definitely check it out because. You could use all of these. You just have to, you just have to be really, really good about not looking at the notes and saying to yourself, "I could do that." If you could do that, get your butt on the kit and do it, and film it, and tag <laughs> Mike and I in it. Yeah. But not to prove that you can do it. But it's like that's when you'll find out. Oh wow, I have a little weak link in my armor. It's like cool. That's yeah. what this stuff is for: is to fix that stuff. I mean, looking at this, I think I've probably never played a left-hand paradiddle diddle around the kit in this fashion, like actually as mm-hmm. the fill. I've done it within patterns just to kind of keep my hands from getting crossed over, but I don't sure. think I've ever intentionally done a left-hand paradiddle diddle on the kit. I know I would struggle with these. Yeah, sure. and and that's what they flush out. And I think relating to the person we're going to be talking about in a little bit, Mike Mitchell. 
the key is to do these and then not take these exercises into your drumming, like into your actual gigging situations. Realize you put in the work. Now, when you get on the gig, close your eyes and play music. And just like you said, you might do a left-hand lead paradiddle diddle just to get you out of trouble, but you weren't thinking, here comes a left-hand lead paradiddle diddle. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what these exercises give you, the freedom to just speak on the instrument. So very, very cool stuff. All right. Well, you want to talk about one of the most fiery, energetic drummers on the planet right now? Dog. <laughs> so, and not even right now. I mean, since he was like, you know, what, what did he come on the scene? Like maybe when he was like 16 or 17? I think the first time I met him at NAMM, people were intro- like walking him around, introducing him, and he was about 16 or 17. I mean, maybe. how old is he now? Because um, he, he was started playing with Stanley Clark, which probably was the first kind of nationally recognized gig uh, five years ago. Okay, that's about when I met him at Nam, and I remember because, um, you know, he had some heavy, heavy cats pulling him around, being like, "Hey, you know, Mike Johnston, this is Mike Mitchell," and yeah. and I mean, dude, he was unbelievably kind and sweet and positive, no no brash, cocky attitude whatsoever. Uh, couldn't have been kinder. And I remember just thinking, like, oh, cool, here's another cat that can play. And then when I heard someone said, yeah, Mike's on the Stanley Clark gig. And I, and I think, didn't Ronald have that for a while? Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah. I think Mike was the one who took over after Ronald moved on. So yeah, uh, and and according to the really, article, Mike is 23 now, maybe he's 24. So five years ago. So, yeah, I met him when he was, like, about 18. 17 or 18. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, and I, I remember when I when you hear the name Stanley Clark – and then you hear like, wait, there's a 17 or 18 year old playing with him. Yeah, he's then been, you he's know, been great okay. about that. He's always hiring young, fiery dudes. I think it's well it's that his his gives motives. us that <laughs> right, and that gives us that like throwback to Miles Davis having yeah, exactly. you know Tony and finding the young cats that have the fire, you know, and that are almost too young to know that they're taking risks. Yeah, exactly. What do they care? I mean, I, yeah, when I, you know, like a slight tangent, when I interviewed Ronald years ago, 10 years ago, when he was still straddling Kenny Garrett's band and Stanley Clark's band, I actually interviewed Stanley Clark about Ronald. And that was one of the things okay. he talked about was he's just too young to realize how good he is. <laughs> like he just, I can just right. tell him to do whatever and he, all right, I'll just do it. He doesn't even have any idea of like, like what the limitations should be. Just right. go for or it. who came before him that yeah. maybe failed at it or whatever. <laughs> Just go. Yeah, I mean, I, I and I think um, the 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 difference that I saw between maybe some of the cats that were coming out around that time, maybe seven or eight years ago, and then to Mike was Mike was so young but had such a deep love and understanding of jazz, and right. yeah, you know, and I don't think he considers his playing to have any chops he's making music and it's yeah. not it just it's so not divided into that. chops and beats <laughs> you know fills and beats yeah it just exactly it, it it takes a little bit of skill to do what he does i mean the dude's kind of incredible he's a volcano um, i mean at first i don't know what video i saw first but it was probably a stanley clark concert video and i was like man i, I he's playing a lot of notes he's playing like a young drummer but there's something extra there that's it, to me it's more authentic than someone who's just blazing chops like he's just overflowing with energy and ideas yeah. and it's i thought it was really cool and he was just going for it like the i felt like the kit was going to just catch on fire <laughs> like actually yeah i feel like fire. you know there's a good 
parallel between him and LeBron James. I saw LeBron's very first NBA game. Like I was actually, it was either his first or his second. Um, you went to the here game? in Sacramento. Oh, yeah, cool. here in Sacramento. He, I think the it was the Cavs versus the Kings was either his first or second game. Um, but obviously, we had all heard about him from high school. But even when he came into the NBA, he had this huge basketball vernacular and um, and this huge knowledge base of the past. And he was referencing yeah. Oscar Robertson and, and Larry Bird and everything. It was like, dude, you're a kid. How do you – you should have been spending all your time playing, not learning. So, But then when you look at where he's at now, yeah, he's, it's, yeah. it's all come together, he's right? He's a genius. So I kind of yeah. – exactly. And I kind of feel the same about Mike is like obviously his skill will always be there and he'll have – that facility of some of the greatest drummers in the world, but because he has such a deep care for the history of the music, there's going to be this point, you know, I mean, we might be witnessing one of the people that we'll be talking about for the next 50 years. Yeah. And I'm, I'm excited gonna, about that. Like, so like, yeah. I, like he's now he's matured more now, but when I saw him years ago, I felt like it was just this raw kind of unrefined drumming with so much potential. I'm like, okay, he's got, he's got 50 years to kind of, to whittle it down to what you know the the right you know to kind of become more steve gad like or not i mean maybe he'll just keep going the way he sure. goes but i sure it's really exciting like i i kind of feel like that style of drumming is a young man's game and at some point you have to make the decision like my elbows and knees aren't going to be able to keep up forever <laughs> right where, where do yeah. you go with it and that's for me the really exciting part like how do you transition into something that's you know right becomes more like lifelong but maybe not. Right. Maybe he will be the LeBron James and just be able to just rip the kid apart for 50 years yeah. straight. Well, and I think uh, that that's – if you just can – if you can just not burn out. You know, when you burn this hot, you never know. Like, yeah. I mean, we could reference 20 people that you and I thought would take over the drum industry in the last 10 years. And then they were just like, yeah, I think I'm going to play soccer. This is hard. <laughs> um, so you never really know what's going to happen. But I think with Mike, I, I think he'll be playing – you know, in our industry for the rest of his life, at least I hope so. But uh, before we go off anymore, why don't we uh, give him a listen real quick? This is the video that Zildjian put up a couple months ago for, to demo the K Suite series. So he's playing, he's playing my favorite things. I believe it's the Outcast version. I've not heard that, but the song is my favorite things, the classic jazz standard that Coltrane made famous. But this has got like some crazy kind of breakbeat stuff layered in. So we'll check out a little bit of it. is just having fun that's that to me legitimizes all the notes because he's just having fun like that's what i want Agreed. i want childlike kind of just innocence and just going for it not any kind of like ego involved he's not showing off he's just playing the drums yeah, the way I mean, he wants to play them 
people. Right. And I think that that's such a an intangible that we don't know how to tell young drummers that they need that in their drumming if they want to make it. But there's a vibe that comes across on video, in person, that lets me know you are doing this to show this video to other drummers. And then there's another vibe of like this is what happens when no one's around and the lights are off and you just close your eyes. And that's how Mike plays. Yeah, exactly. Mike is like – he reminds us of what it was like. It's kind of weird. He is us the first time we got on the kit and we're allowed to just hit things as fast and as hard as possible. He just does it flawlessly. <laughs> yeah, with an insane phrasing and technique and everything. Right, yeah. <laughs> While being a master, if you will. Wow, you know what? I think your LeBron James parallel might be dead on. He, he's he's clearly gifted. I mean, I know he's worked yes. his butt off, but he is exceptionally gifted on you know physically with his dexterity and also with his conception and his art. I mean, his kit is crazy in this video. He put like a black and white kit together. Right, totally something that any twelve-year-old would be like, yeah, let's just put a yeah. whole bunch of stuff up and hit it. But he can do it with so much maturity as a musician. It's right. really, really inspiring. Now, Mike, if you're listening, if you start referring to yourself as the king, <laughs> we're going to take all this back, okay? We love you, but well, just stick I mean, with Mike Mitchell. The king is about to get shut out, so. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, and they're going to do it. Oh, so and sad. the Warriors are going to do it on the Cavs' home floor. <laughs> now, where is he going to go? That's the big question. I've Los heard. Angeles. I will put the money on L.A. <clears throat> I thought that originally, Philly. but I thought leaving the East would be so stupid. It would be so stupid. It would be. But the thing is, like, I mean, what is it doing for his legacy to get you know knocked out in the finals every year? Like, I, I wonder what's better fit for his legacy, you know, having – 10 finals appearances and three wins, you know, or yeah, I don't know. To, to just, I mean, I don't he's, know. He's got he's, Paul George with the Lakers. The Philly would be tough because Ben Simmons plays his position and Ben has all the potential in the world. So just like you mentioned about Mike at some point kind of having to pull back the reins a little bit. If, if LeBron is, why are we breaking down sports? Cause I mean, it's, you know what? I mean, it's so it, funny. It, I can't stand when my sports <laughs> podcast is like, well, let's talk drummers. We know that John Bonham was the best that ever lived, but Ringo's pretty good too. And I'm like, uh, oh God, stop talking about <clears throat> drumming. I can't handle it. Yeah. And now well, I mean, I'm sure there's some know. sports guy that's listening to us going like, guys, guys, stop. But <laughs> it's, no it's, it's so important. He's at that transition. Like, what do you do? Yeah. He's brought maybe five years left. Maybe. Yeah. If his body He's still up. at the height. Yeah. He, unfortunately, his, just like Kobe was, his season's aren't you can't compare him to other people's because he makes it to the finals every year he plays so more minutes more games and more he's, minutes. he's point guard <laughs> yeah exactly well that's what i'm saying if if he went to philly he would have to say you know what i will take a smaller role if he goes to la they got young talent they've got paul george there but i the, i think really the i think the la thing is because i think he's going to end up there for his life I think he's going to transition into the Hollywood world, not like a movie star, but he'll be involved in some <clears> way. So, uh, but he also, the, you know, something to consider is he's got kids and they're not young. So, I mean, he's pulling them away yeah. from all their friends. I know. Who knows? And would you want to take your family to Hollyweird? I wouldn't. Oof. No, no. I mean, you're destined to have a messed up childhood if you <laughs> easy, easy. Hey, if you're 16, listen to this, and you live in Hollywood, you're gonna be fine. No, you're, you're probably fine. already messed up. <laughs> it's East Coast bias. Don't listen to Dawson. Just get some green tea. Stay away from you know anything crazy. You'll be fine. All right, L- everyone, check out Mike Mitchell. He's 
He's <clears throat> honestly a, a, an incredible talent, uh, and both Mike and I can vouch for the fact that he's he's an incredibly kind and sweet human being. But his energy on the drum set is infectious, and even if you are somebody that just says, "Oh, I just like pocket and I just like groove." Then watch his videos for the energy and take that energy to your pocket in your grooves. Like he loves playing the drum set and that's infectious no matter what style you play. Exactly. All right. So at this point, we got to thank Dream for sponsoring the episode. And I just went back to the website and they posted another lesson. So this one is number 10 with their artist Kent Eberlei. And this one is, what's the caption? This is a simple but effective exercise to help break through the rut or blockage that we all face at times. This exercise exercise which sets you up to understand and fully master polyrhythms helps reopen doors allowing creativity to flow so it's a lesson on how to use polyrhythms to kind of break out of a creative rut um, and it's the top video so if you go to dreamsymbols.com backslash lessons it's the it's the top one number 10 so check that out um, now we got to talk about one of the heaviest snare drums i've ever reviewed Dog. <laughs> that thing I, I love they don't even dress it up you know what I mean? There's no design. Cool. It's like you know what? Here's your tank. Go blow some stuff up. Fourteen by eight. Excuse me. Eight, eight by, by 14. fourteen. Yes. I got you. I got eight it. Eight by got fourteen. It. Yeah, so this a lot is of cast bronze. Tempest is a company in Germany, not to be confused with. I believe there was a t- company in Canada called Tempest at one point. Just P U S, right? Uh, not Tempest. Oh, I don't. You know what? I don't know. Someone listening can okay. correct me, but. Uh, but this one is a German-made company. They actually got – they found a place that that makes church bells essentially in Germany, an old um, – gosh, what do they say? Yeah, it's just – it's an old traditional German bell foundry and they make their shells for them. So it's a, literally a bell bronze snare drum. Wow. Uh, 8x14, super heavy. I actually weighed it. Um, in the review, what did I say? I mean, it was it was insane. Twenty pounds, twenty pound drum, dude. So by comparison, a three ply six and a half by fourteen um, kind of vintage style drum weighs seven pounds. I could totally see a studio owning one of these. It's like it never leaves here. Yeah, yeah. We just wheel it out. Unless you got it road comes cases. On wheels. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> it's all good, and uh, comes with a steak dinner. So yeah. you feel full. It's full. Everything's good. Um, Not yeah, a I mean the, the the sorry the drum itself. So you've got even though you've got chrome tube lugs, these are still brass tube lugs. Which I from yeah. doing all the things I've done with Rami at A and F, I really think that makes a huge difference. Yeah, it I does. Really, th- I mean they vibrate in a musical way, unlike other metals yeah. that don't. So they're they're not restricting the shell from singing as much as it it wants to i mean this is high-end parts all around you've got the chrome plated trick throw off which is still such a great throw off those three positions are actually all three quite usable yeah Um, exactly unlike some others which i wish they would fix them like i don't (laughs) yeah it's like that position is completely unusable it goes Um, from like choked to like not even touching the monitor (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so uh so yeah so i think that they chose the right throw off um and the i really like too that the tube lugs aren't someone else's standard generic tube lugs like it looks like either they make these or i've never seen these tube lugs before yeah it's their own um, it's their own they're, they're big yeah. they're, they're definitely very sturdy i don't think they will ever break or strip out uh, the shell is actually b12 bronze and it's three millimeters thick it's seamless obviously wow. 
yeah, it's an insanely awesome drum. Uh, this was one of those that I'm like, ah, do I want to buy this or do I have to send it away? <laughs> I really not, thought long and hard about it. Yeah, it's tough because, I mean, it's not a cheap drum, but it is one of those drums that would that you kind of know every time you break it out, people are going to freak out over it. So it's, yeah. it's kind of worth every penny. Um, and the other thing I want to mention is, and this goes for every time you listen to us do a snare drum review, Mike does a really good job of not – putting a bunch of gels and putting a bunch of tape. He's really letting you hear the tone of the drum, but I know that the untrained ear only hears the overtone. Yeah, Listen yeah. to the smack and the impact. The overtone will be gone with that first piece of gel. So you have to listen to the smack because people hear that overtone. They go, oh, that thing sucks. And it's like, no, 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 no. Every drum yeah. does that. I hear that. That's every almost drum every does time. That. It's like, hey, it's too ringy. I'm like, uh, would you rather have no overtone and then you're stuck with that? I mean, is that what you, you want? You know what? I'm going to admit, so I don't know if you saw, but I did my first snare drum Saturday video on YouTube. Yep. And I had a piece, I had one gel on the drum, and it really bummed me out that I did it. And oh, I, because yeah. it, it homogenized the drum. It sounds like every other drum, yeah. you know? And it's like, but if, but I was so scared because it's YouTube. And I'm like, if I, if they hear the real, the ring, they're going to be like, they're going to take it out on the drum. It's not the drum's fault. All yeah, drums yeah. do that. Yeah. So when you're listening to this, hear the impact, hear the smack, and imagine that, that overtone was gone. There are certain overtones that I actually love, but like when you get really low on this drum, yeah, it has the greatest smack, but people will freak out over the overtone. Well, one yeah. gel and that overtone's gone. Yeah, exactly. Let's give it a listen. Yeah, so this drum, I mean, it obviously doesn't, you can't translate the actual physical experience of playing it to audio or photos, but this drum, I could not hit it too hard. It was just an impossibly powerful drum, but not one-dimensional. It also was really, I mean, you could play really light on it. Elvin Jones back in the day used to play an 8x14 bell brass snare. So Did he really? It, yeah, it can do it. And he would play like a shallower one too. It can it can do pretty much anything, which is why I said it was like, man, should I just go ahead and buy this? Because this would be every rock gig, every rock session, done. That's my drum. I probably mm-hmm. could have paid for it by selling off half of my snare collection. Right. Uh, but I ended up just saying, eh, maybe next time. But it is an awesome yeah. drum. It's got so much power. It's one of those where you can really feel the air coming back up at you. I was really impressed in the higher tuning how sensitive it was because there's still that mind trick yeah, that you see drum. an eight inch deep snare. 
you're not going to hear the snares you know do their job and it was the complete opposite there was something in the article i don't remember um do you did you write that the snare beds are pretty wide on this I'm looking at my own writing now. I don't you remember. wrote the snare beds are carved fairly wide and flat to ensure that the wires sit. Flush yeah, with they the were. Head. They were hand. Their hands kind of filed pretty flat. Okay, pretty flat. I mean, you can definitely tell where the snare beds start and stop on this drum, but they're not sharp. Like you contoured them so that they're not cool. like super. Like it's like a notch out. But yeah, the wires sat perfect. I didn't have to do any kind of messing with those. Um, Snare tension, I think, I had it in the medium setting. It wasn't super tight, but they didn't rattle on forever. Yeah. I mean, really, this just really seems like drum. if you're one of those drummers, obviously, like you said, you can play as delicate as you want. But if you're one of those drummers that just has a great backbeat and you can be consistent, this drum is just like every producer would just love it. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Love it. Just yeah. like, okay, it, cool. We're good. It records. Uh, and they, they would probably, I would say they would probably tell you, can you stay behind and just hit it? once for me because yeah. i'm gonna add that to my sample library <laughs> right sure. i've had that happen before they're like could you give me like three kicks in a row really spaced out uh, I'm like oh all right <laughs> um so quick question uh 1890 price tag do you know if that is list price or if that's that's like, that's the price the problem is the, price. the dollar to is it francs in germany or euros the, the euro to uh the dollar conversion has been up and down so okay so it's it's been more expensive recently, but you know it just depends. But that's the rough price that you could order one today of this size, eight by fourteen. And that's kind bucks. of in line with a like an eight by fourteen bell brass, right? Yeah, would maybe up there. I mean, yeah, the vintage ones are going for two, three, four thousand dollars. Yeah, Jeez. I mean, it's an expensive drum to make. It's a lot of metal. It has to be cast. Uh, yeah. You know, there's some yeah. you can find that are cheaper, but I'm not going to say that they're not the same. But they're they're not the same. <laughs> I'm not going to say, it, but uh, there's you a can. difference between a, a fabricated pipe that gets cut versus a drum that's actually forged specifically for that yes. shell. Very completely different. agree. Well, definitely check this thing out. Uh, just go to moderndrummer.com and check out the most recent product close up, and you can hear. Uh, or see the video of Mike playing it in, in its entirety. And uh, yeah, so Tempest Drums from Germany, and uh, it's an 8 by 14 bell bronze snare, not bell brass. Pretty amazing. Yep. All right, you All ready right. to get in some listener questions? I'm trying to get through a few of them. So we've got, oh, we haven't talked about the contest. So the contest is still on. We do have to apologize. I didn't realize it was a U.S. only um, contest. We'll have to do something to make up to all of our worldwide listeners, but the, the Ultimate Ears contest is still available. The link will be in the show notes. I think we still have a couple more weeks, so we'll be we'll be selecting a winner probably by the end of the month, roughly. Man, I think I've got a couple of campers here that will be ordering their UE6 Pros because um, – I just swear by them, and and they were like, "Is it really a difference if you get custom molds?" I'm like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> and I have a couple campers here that have gotten very, very, very affordable custom molds, and they're like, "Man, these things have like burrs on them and hurt my ears." I'm like, "Dude, that's the yeah, that's probably the biggest don't difference. Don't save the money fit, on man. custom molded in ears and tattoos. <laughs> just pay the good money, get it done right. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> these are the two things you don't save money on." In ear monitors and tattoos. Yeah, I've been using. <laughs> no, the but my buddy just got a gun. I've been using the Tattoo 11s, guns. and they, um, yeah, they Those not are only amazing. do they sound super clean and very accurate, but they're very comfortable too. I don't, I don't feel any any kind of itch or agitation, and I wear them for like right. three hours in a row. 
I was going to say we we had a conversation yesterday that was completely centered around in-ears and nothing musical. It was like, how long on a flight can you go before they start to bug you? I'm like, uh, I can get two full movies in before I'm kind of – but that's way longer than I would go with Beats headphones or, or, or you know, over-the-ear headphones. Yeah, right. I, I can go about four hours and tell them, like, all right, I just need a break from yeah. having these in my ears. But, yeah, they're really comfortable, and that's one thing that I've noticed. The new ones that you and I both have – the cable is a huge difference. That's usually the that problem. cable is like yeah. silk. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like the one I'm and wearing right now is driving straight me up. crazy, and it's an old, <laughs> it's a thick piece of rope around my ear. It's driving yeah, me crazy. exactly. <laughs> the new cable is this little piece of silk. So definitely enter in the contest. Yeah, you'll if you win that, you will be in luck. All right, let's get to some of our listener questions. All right, first one's from Misha. Do you have a solution for clamping a snare mic to a wood hoop? Ooh. Uh, you know, I would assume that the old LP claw would go big enough for that, right? Yeah, I would think so. The only ones that I have a problem with are the ones that are plastic. Like the whole thing is a piece of plastic. The Sennheiser yeah, like, E604 or A904. Yeah, sure had those for their PG series clamps. Yeah, the uh, ones that – yeah. series mics. But even that, because I've, I've recorded a few wood hoop drums and it's not – You were able to get it on? It's not super – I mean it ends up bringing the mic maybe further in – towards the center of the drum than I want to, but it still worked. But yeah. The LP claw is perfect. It opens as wide as you want it to go, and then it has all this swivel adjustment to it to yeah. get the mic closer or further away. So That and the other thing is the um, big band distribution has a mic holder that actually goes under the tension rod. It's just like a metal plate that goes under the tension rod. So if it's a permanent solution, you could just mount that on the drum, and then the mic just mm. screws right onto it. Uh, yeah. Hopefully that go. helps. Uh, next one is from Dave. I am 45 and recently started experiencing pain at the base of my thumb. It seems like this is due to repetitive use of holding the stick between the thumb and first finger as is typically thought. However, I discovered that if I grip the stick between my thumb and the first bone of my middle finger, the, the uh, joint closest to the hand, it not only reduces the pain in my thumb but I have a looser grip and can more easily play with a molar method. The first finger just kind of rests on top of the stick. I've seen at least one online article from a veteran drummer who is convinced this is a superior grip. Why isn't this grip taught? Any advantages that you can see using this grip? It is taught by almost everyone I've ever seen teach. It is an option. It is not the superior grip. It is just an option. We are all formed differently. I don't know if you've ever shaken a pro NBA player's hands, but try to imagine that person recreating your technique, your grip. It's just not going to work. So we're all different. I think Weckl was the first one that I saw when he came out of the Freddie Gruber thing going, hey, I just switched from my first finger to my second finger. Yeah, I think that was the whole mystique of the Freddie Gruber method, which was – you know, moving the the fulcrum back to the middle finger. Um, yeah, I think it's taught by a lot of people. I think it just depends on kind of. I mean, if you're going to classical music, that fulcrum is not going to work because you do sacrifice precision and control. Exactly. When you get and and rebound. You know, like even if you just hold a stick in your hand and push with your thumb and your first finger, measure from your thumb to the end of the stick. Let's say that's 12, 11 to 12 inches. Then you switch from your first finger to your second finger. Now it's 12 or 13 inches. So the stick just became heavier. 
the stick just became fatter. So yeah. I see a lot of people going to that grip for their back beats. And then when they chop it up and go for speed, they switch to thumb and first finger because now the stick has a better fulcrum to rebound from. So I think that a lot of people actually alternate between the two grips. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah. I, I think whatever causes you the least amount of pain and that makes you feel the most comfortable is the grip. I mean, we can all agree that Art Blakey didn't have like – yeah, the, I mean, sometimes you know, the prettiest then, grip. Yeah, sometimes he was holding it with like a fist. <laughs> what about uh, Gerald Hayward? Right, he's got it between his first uh, yeah, two fingers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's the craziest grip in the history of the world, and he's still playing stuff the that Carmine I can't play. Grip. Yeah, <laughs> right. So I think it, it comes down to you and, and accepting the fact that if there was one and only one way, we would all learn it. Which would be either traditional or matched, or but but there isn't. We're all different, so yeah. yeah. Experiment. I think you're yeah. I think you're at the right point of discovering that there's many different ways to hold the stick, and and I think the way I've kind of avoided repetitive use injury is because I I actually studied a lot of different technique on purpose. Like what is it you know mm-hmm. for a marching band? It was in the first knuckle, the first joint. Why that gave me a lot of power and control, and then I got into playing jazz, and it became more back in the second finger. And then uh, recently I've been re-exploring the first, the small knuckle of the first finger. So just going through all that practice, when I'm playing the drums, my hands just change to whatever it needs to exactly. do. Exactly. So there's never totally. any moment I'm locked into one spot for too long. If it, if it feels like I'm getting tired in one spot, then I just shift automatically somewhere else. Yeah, so that's a good point. There is no one, one fulcrum. Despite what a lot of people say, I don't think there's one answer. Um, this one comes from Jacob. Um, he came to the experts with this one. I have a question regarding my double bass pedals. <laughs> oh, man. You're talking to the right people now. Oh, man. He says, I have uh, industry standard pedals, and the left, which is the slave pedal, fits flush with the floor, while my main pedal lifts up slightly in the back, maybe a quarter to a half inch. I've, tr- mm, I've tried yeah. adjusting the rug, raising and lowering my bass drum legs, and even experimenting with the tension, but the pedal never seems to fit flat. Any insight would be appreciated, and thanks for all the knowledge over the episodes. The one thing I can think of uh, is a couple, but <laughs> the one thing, here's a couple. Um, <laughs> I would wonder if it's the same when you move your drum set somewhere else. I've played drum sets in places that had old, you know, maybe 1950s hardwood floors, like when I used to practice at my grandma's house. And if you didn't set your kit up in the right area, you were wobbling because yeah. it wasn't a flat floor. So a concrete floor in the garage was generally pretty flat. And then I'd have problems when I'd come in maybe on the carpet and I'm kind of moving around a little bit. So that mm. would be one thing. The other thing is depending on your pedals, if you have – and I don't, you didn't mention what size your bass drum is, but if you have – a small bass drum, sometimes that hoop is bending bef- you know, before the pedal has a chance to grab it on a flat way. Like an 18-inch bass drum mm-hmm. is a little bit different than like a 24 that has a ton of bottom surface area. So what do you think? Um, I'm trying to think of what I, I mean. I've had problems when the spikes that are on the bottom of the pedal are extended too far. That's caused some mm-hmm. issues. True. Um, or uneven. Yeah, and the biggest issue for me is the the bass drum angle. If it's angled too yes. extremely, then the pedal's gonna the back of it's gonna lift up. You almost have to keep it as low as it can go while still uh, having the beater hit a flat surface of the head. Once the front head right. gets up, you know, angled up higher, that's when for me all the problems start. Yeah, it's annoying though, man. There's there's something about hitting a bass drum 
and there's zero movement to that kick drum that makes you feel so solid. And then even if it's not moving on you as far as scooting away from you, if it's kind of bouncing up and down a little bit, yeah, it's weird. You just don't feel solid on the kit, and you don't feel comfortable. So I, yeah. I think we all sympathize with your problem. We've been there. So all right, let's do one more. We got a few minutes all here. Right. This one's from Todd. With regards to wooden snare drums, aside from maple, what would be a good material to be an all-purpose drum? Based on your experiences, what are the sonic properties of woods like acacia, babinga, cherry, walnut, etc.? Uh, aside from maple, I would say cherry would be your number one mm. all-around purpose drum. I agree, and only because I have that thirteen by uh, what is it, thirteen by six cherry? Yeah. Yep. Your guys' anniversary, um, and I'm always shocked that it it just sounds fantastic, and uh, I can and it records so well. Um, I also like, uh, I remember when it first came out, I really dug on that Brooklyn snare, which was one ply of maple, four plies of poplar and right. one ply of maple. I always thought that was just kind of a general purpose wooden snare drum and super affordable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I would say cherry, cherry or, or, uh, a little poplar sandwich. And so the answer to your question, why cherry for me, it has all the warmth and kind of musicality of maple, but just a touch of the extra bite that you get from something harder, like a birch. birch. Yeah. Right yeah. The, 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 and the cherry too, I thought was a perfect choice, um, to make a 13 out of because a 13 just in your mind might be a little bit more choked and the cherry gives it that little extra boost of volume. So Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't sound like a choked drum at all, even though it's a 13. So yeah, check out a cherry drum and they're not like, unlike Babinga, those they're not insanely expensive, like cherry drums. Right. I mean, you could, no, I mean, I guess who's making it. I guess it depends on where you live because cherries, you know, it's a North American wood. I think most of the time they're using North American wood, which is which is similar to maple. That's why most drums are made of maple because it's in North America. All right. So what about babinga? I have a hard time describing babinga other than it sounds rubbery to me. Well, here's here's my issue with babinga is it became way too popular for the wrong reasons. One, it's gorgeous. So people started using it as a veneer, and everybody called those babinga drums. And they weren't babinga (laughs) drums. They were maple drums. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. birch and maple (laughs) with a a gorgeous waterfall babinga veneer. Great. And then the one group of people that could really make those drums well, which would be Brady, it's like those were expensive drums. And that's not what we were getting over here when we were just slapping on a a ply of babinga. So (laughs) – you know, I got to say, when I heard the first, who was probably doing it on the high production level, like Tama, I would say. Yeah, I think Tama and actually D-Drum was one of the first to do all Oh, yeah, Benga. that's right. Yeah. But yeah, I remember just thinking, that's loud. Uh, <laughs> and uh, But I, I didn't get the, the warmth out of it that I love out of drums. Um, I think Babinga, you know, they are trees, so there's different... You're going to get a different drum every time. But I do think that it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful wood. But I've never been a huge fan of all Babinga drums. Yeah. It's like – it's kind of weird because it's one of those things where you're like, but dude, it's crazy expensive. It's like, oh, it's a rare yeah. wood. Yeah, you know? I think it might even be illegal now. Maybe it's back. But wow. yeah, so I wouldn't put Babinga in the all-purpose. That's more of the – no. I mean, it's just rub- highly exotic. Yeah, rubbery is the only way I can think of the description. It's like it just yeah. bounces. The sound just bounces. Yeah. Um, Acacia, I've never played, or Acacia, never played. Walnut, I think, of being darker and drier than maple, um, which is an interesting I just, sound. I don't think 
it's not dark like vintage. It's it's still modern but dark. It's kind wow. of a it's a it's a tough for me. It's a tough wood. I like it on four yeah. times. I feel like when someone hires me to do a Steely Dan cover gig, I'll get a walnut kit. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's just yeah. like dead and thuddy, and um, yeah. but it does it really well. You know, yeah. it's kind of funny because like I, I, it almost sounds like I'm making fun of it. But if I was doing a Steely Dan cover band, I'd gaff the hell out of my maple drums. Well, walnut's just going to kind of do that dark thuddy, yeah. and doesn't cut through the mix too much. So, um, but yeah, I think with a, a cherry snare drum, that would be a great compliment to a maple snare drum. Yep. Dig it. All right. So we cool. can send your questions into mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Uh, we have a couple, we still have another stack of prints, but we have a couple audio questions. We'll try to get them in soon. We appreciate your questions and us not answering them. <laughs> <laughs> getting to it. Getting All there. right. It's getting time there. to get our picks of the week in. And even though I just mentioned, how much I love custom-molded in-ears, which I do, and I honestly don't use personally anything other than them. I know that a lot of people don't want custom molds, don't even want in-ears at all, and they love headphones. Grew up with headphones, and you want headphones. Well, we went too far in the like early to mid-2000s where the headphones were boosting every frequency yeah. possible, especially yeah. the lows, and it's like, okay, well, this isn't what music or drums sound like. So to, to try to find an affordable pair of honest headphones isn't always the easiest thing, especially if you're going to like Best Buy or something. So my recommendation for those of you that are headphones fans and want really high-quality, honest headphones, check out the Audio-Technica ATH-M50s uh, or M50X. Um, the Audio-Technica ATH-M50s, these are just classic. If you went into a studio and they had headphones sitting on the snare drum for you to listen to your click track and to play your drums. These are the kind of headphones you're going to get. They are super honest. They sound amazing. They have they can go as loud as you could possibly imagine. They have decent they have I would say very honest low end. If there's a lot of low end, they will go as low as you could imagine, but they're not going to fake the low end for you. They also um if you go to Amazon or wherever you're going to go. Uh, they do come in different colors. You can get them in just the traditional black studio headphones or white, blue, um, kind of like a gray, silver, and red. So, Which ones uh, But they're use? 150 bucks. I use uh, – we have eight pairs of the black ones here. Okay. So that's what I give to the campers for the electric kits and stuff. Um, that's what we use during the live camper sheds because it's like you really can't blame the headphones. They're just high-quality, honest headphones that's what things sound like, um, you know. And I don't have to worry about, like I said, I mean, all that bass that you can get from when we were just juicing the bass and everything, it's not the best thing for your hearing long term. So, And these all, these have a good balance. The other thing you want out of a set of headphones is a good balance of isolation but also letting in some ambient noise so you can hear the room around you. Um, mm. And that's that's yeah. when I do switch from in-ears to headphones is when I want to hear a bit of the room. Right. That these let some of that in and you get like a little bit more of an open feeling. So, yeah, check them out. And, I mean, I think 150 bucks for professional-level headphones is is fantastic. All right. My pick is an album that I don't know when it came out, but I just saw it today. It's a Joshua Redman album called Still Dreaming featuring Ron Miles, Scott Cooley, and my all-time favorite, Brian Blade. Uh, I'm opening iTunes right now. So this is a record. Joshua Redman's father was Dewey Redman, who's a legend in the kind of avant-garde new jazz world. He often played in groups without piano or guitar, so no chords. So this is wow. Um, and one of Dewey's bands was called uh, Old. Ah, uh, shoot, Old and New Dreams. What the heck was it called? <laughs> 
bro. Let's pause. You are on look at this fire today. <laughs> I love it. Oh, man. Anyway, so this record is kind of Josh's somewhat tribute to the, the band that his dad was in back in the day. Uh, so it's trumpet, saxophone, bass, and drums. Recorded amazingly. Um, it's There's a lot of space for Brian to do his thing. So you can really hear him, you know, really kind of digging in and, and getting involved in all the the musical conversation it is kind of f- not free but it's it's you know it's it's open-ended jazz so that kind of goes out at times but i think it's just a great listen old and new dreams was the band i was almost there dewey redmond's mm-hmm. band was old and new dreams so this is called still dreaming it's a tribute by joshua redmond uh brian blade sounds amazing as always i'm always finding what i love about brian blade is i don't listen to him to to steal licks i just listen to him to just experience right. it there's, there's, isn't that cool i mean he's an enjoyable drummer to listen to and yeah. you don't have to turn it into homework yeah not at all but at the same time you're getting all your drum stuff at you like it's, it's so good yeah agreed yeah and for any of you that need maybe just a little gateway drug into that album I mean, everyone should check out Momentum um, by Joshua Redman, Elastic Band. It's one of those things where it bridges that gap between funk and jazz yeah. and will get you into this stuff a little bit easier. Um, I remember when I found that album, it just kind of changed my life. And now I can handle things like this. So, wow, this is really new. May 24th. Yeah. It just, 2018. It just came out. And I've, I've been a fan of Joshua Redman since since uh, late like high school middle school maybe and the first one yeah. is like a columbia house purchase i bought josh redman live at the village wow. vanguard wow i'd never yeah, had no idea what it was i just saw jazz and i saw brian blade's name on it and i never heard him before and instantly he became my like all-time favorite drummer so i'm glad to see that he's back doing some stuff with josh and it's this awesome and i also love this kind of genre kind of open-ended jazz where there's not like chord progressions that are kind of locking you in so they're just being real creative, but still swinging. It's not like free, crazy stuff. Cool. I'll check it out. That's, that sounds awesome. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. What was this? Episode 192? 146. I was close. Cool. <laughs> uh, well, thank you guys so much. Who's our outro? We've got Dan. Dan, uh, I'm going to butcher Genzel. this. Genzel? No, I know I know Dan. He's okay. a, He's a great dude, man. Really great dude. Yeah. So Designer bird's eye maple. Damn. Yeah, with quick beat hi-hats, which you don't see those too often anymore. I found a pair of 70s, 15-inch quick beats. They sound amazing. Really? It's like Damn. disco. If you want disco hi-hats, that's Yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never and heard of doesn't? Crockett and Tubbs aluminum snare drum. Crockett and Tubbs. Uh, I know that Dan uh, gets a lot of his stuff from Dubs um, Percussion in Dublin, California. Okay. So I would assume that's probably like one of those things where the guys over at... Um, Dubs Percussion have a bunch of one-off or smaller boutique snares. So we probably got it there. Um, I don't know that for a fact. But uh, I love the fact that he's got a size 14 um, <laughs> shoe sitting on uh, the snare to dampen the tone. Oh, so, Dan, you got you got some big feet. <laughs> yeah, man. We call that man Bigfoot. Come on, Bigfoot. <laughs>